going through First Peter, and so tonight we're in First Peter chapter 2. I was going to do two verses, but I got to going on it, and one verse kind of used up all my time. So we'll read two, but I'll only preach one, and then we'll preach the other one next week. So First Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. So that's the first verse. I'll go ahead and read the second one, even though we won't get to it tonight. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may be, may be because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. The greatest commandment, if we were to do a quiz on that, you'd all get it right. Love God with all our heart, soul, and might. That's the greatest commandment. So if we were to say, what's the worst sin you can commit? The worst sin you could commit would be to break the greatest commandment. Greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, and might. So the greatest sin, the worst sin, the biggest sin, the baddest sin is not to do that first commandment. And uh, we're going to talk about that. Number one, the primary way that we love Jesus is by obeying him. So, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. How do you do that? What's the Bible say? That is the method, the tool, in which you will love him. Well, it has dozens of verses. I'll just read a few to you. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's pretty clear. John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. John chapter 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. First John 5, 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. That is, they're not, we don't say, oh, gee, I hate doing those things. They're not burdensome. So if we love him, we'll obey him. If we love him, we keep his commandments. Number two, there are sections of the Bible that are more applicable to us when it comes to the commandments uh, that we are to obey. So the principle is pretty simple. The principle is, who was a section of Scripture written to? And when you answer that question, then you answer the question, is the commandment that's given for you. Because not all commandments in the Bible are for us. Because they weren't written to us. We can make application of them to us, but they're not direct commandments that we will obey. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. The Lord God commanded, commanded, commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. So, is that commandment for you? It's fairly obvious. You don't have a tree you don't eat from. That commandment was given to the man. That's Adam. So there's a commandment in the Bible that wasn't given to us. It was given to Adam. Adam broke that commandment, and we've been in a jam ever since. And so we understand clearly that commandment wasn't given to me. I don't have a tree. I don't have any fruit that I don't eat from. Leviticus 1.4. 
he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering that he may be accepted for him to make atonement on his behalf. If you read through the book of Leviticus, people ask me all the time, Pastor, Leviticus is kind of... Um, I, and then I interrupt usually. I say, I speed read it. Oh, you do? Yeah, I speed read it. <laughs> and uh, lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering that it may be accepted. How many of you have offered up a bull lately? That commandment is given 16 times in the book of Leviticus. What's wrong with you? How about a turtle dove or a sheep or a goat? You don't do any of those. And I don't either. Colossians 2.14 Having canceled out canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees or laws against us which was hostile to us he, as Jesus, has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities he made a public display of them rulers and authorities, that's demons of various ranks of demon. He made a public display of them. You know what that means? That means that when Jesus rose from the dead and entered into heaven, he had all those demons and angels all tied up with chains and he paraded them and all the angels went, ha, 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 you wimps. And so sometimes when I pray, I say, Lord Jesus, thank you for freeing me and setting me free, giving me power. And then I'll just, because the uh, devil can't read your mind demons can't read your mind but they can hear you talk I'll say just in case you're listening you're a bunch of wimps just want to remind you that he made a public display of them he disarmed the rulers and authorities he made a public display of them having triumphed over them through him therefore no one is to act as your judge in regards to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so when we say, what commandments are we to obey? Well, the ones that are written to us. And it's fairly obvious. Number three, First Peter is a book of the Bible that is written to the church, to Christians. And in the very beginning, it tells us that. By the way, do you know what books in the Bible are most applicable to me? First and Second Timothy and Titus. Because Timothy was a pastor. Paul wrote to Timothy telling him how to be a good pastor. Titus was a pastor. Paul writes to Titus telling him how to be a good pastor. I'm a pastor. So First and Second Timothy and Titus. I memorized all three of those books. And I go through them regularly because there's good information in there on how to be a good pastor. First Peter 1, this is where it tells us, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to, to, that means this is who the letter is written to, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. They're scattered because they're getting persecuted as Christians who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Those who 
have been sanctified by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, are obeying Jesus Christ, and they sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's me. Jesus' blood saved me. The Holy Spirit fills me. I'm headed for heaven. That's me. Number four, there are two commandments given to us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. And I was going to do both of them, but we're only going to do one because I got so carried away with the first one that didn't have time for the second one. So, beloved, here are these two verses again. Beloved, I urge you, I urge you, I urge you. And so the New Testament commands are mostly appeals. Um, And so Peter says, I urge you as an alien. You're an alien because you're going to heaven. And strangers to abstain, abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Abstain. I'm abstaining from sugar. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> it's not what you call a <clears throat> hard, fast rule, but kind of, sort of. I'm abstaining from sugar. Trying to do that. Abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war, uh, war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may be may because of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. We'll get that one next week. Abstain from fleshly lust. That's what we're going to look at tonight. That's the command. Do that. Abstain from fleshly lust. Number five, to lust for something is to want it, want it so much that you can't be happy without it. So it would be called the sin of coveting, uh, the sin of greed, a uh, sin of being discontent, you can give it all kinds of terms. So I'm anticipating I'm going to have a tough time Friday, Saturday, Sunday, because I'm going to be at the sportsman show. And I'm going to be walking by, whoa, look at that fishing rod. I've already got better, no, I don't. No, I won't even look at it. But then I'll walk by it again. Oh, look at that fishing rod. Do you know what the guy on the counter is going to say? he say, you want this, don't you? No, no, I don't want it. It's too expensive. I'll tell you what, I'll take $10 off. Really? Uh, and there's going to be like a dozen things in that sportsman show, all of which, after a while, walking around and around and around, I'm going to think to myself, boy, I can't be happy without it. So... I'm going to be the picture of lust. (laughs) Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You know, uh, it's a pretty strong statement. Don't do it. Don't do it. But we do it all the time. James 1.14 says, But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust." Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. And so the sin that is really being talked about here in your notes number six, worldliness. Worldliness. It it is the worst sin that we can commit. 
It is the worst sin that we can commit. So, Pastor Mike's been preaching on the book of Judges on Sunday night, uh, Sunday mor- uh, Saturday night, Sunday morning. And if we would ask the question, Judges, you've got a bunch of uh, ups and downs, ups and downs. You get a judge that delivers them from their enemies and they do pretty good. And then, So what usually causes them to fall? They worship Baal or another pagan god. Um, why? Do, uh, when you worshipped Baal, he was the fertility god. Then all your sheep had babies. Then your cows had calves. And your corn had two ears. Um, that was their living. So when your sheep had twins and your cows had calves and your corn had two ears, you made money. And Baal, he was the god that made that happen. At least that's what all the nations around them said. So they would worship Baal. And so God called it adultery, spiritual adultery. You shall have no other gods before me. A god was something that you believed would bring you joy. A a god was something that you believed would make you successful. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, we're a little bit more sophisticated. We don't really call uh, a car a god or money a god or a house a god. And so now it's worldliness, that is stuff in the world that we think that we need in order to be um, happy. First John 2.15, do not love the world. There's a pretty clear command. Or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If anyone loves the world, you don't love God. The greatest commandment is to love God with our, all our heart, soul, and mind. How would you not do that? Well, you can't love the world and love God at the same time. To the degree that you love the world, to that same degree you don't love God. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lust. The one who does the will of God lives forever. James 4, 4. You adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So I ha- I'm in five accountability groups. And uh, in the accountability groups, it's, we go around the room. Um, I prayed with my wife three times this week. I took her on a date two weeks ago. I read the Bible every day. Uh, let me see. I got a verse. Uh, let me quote my verse. I, I quote my verse. And I, I prayed every day. And so we have these various basic disciplines. And we go around and say, yeah, I did, I did, I did. I was in a group a couple of years ago where one of the guys came up with this idea. He said, let's each one confess the worst sin we committed the, during the week. And pray for each other that we would get over it. One week, I'll never forget this guy. says, I got stopped by the police. And he said to me, Did you have your seatbelt on when my lights went on? And I said, Yes. He said to our group, But I lied. When I saw his lights go on, I put my seatbelt on. And so we prayed that he would conquer the sin of lying. Um, you know, different anger issues. Guy confessed problem with pornography. 
We did that for like three years, I think. I never once heard anybody confess, I committed the sin of worldliness this week. I coveted a boat or this or that. Or I was discontent with my income. Never once did anybody ever confess the sin of worldliness. Why? Because yeah, we don't really think it's a sin. Uh, but in reality, it's the worst of all of them. It's the worst of all of them. Number seven, worldliness is a very subtle sin that takes over our life. We don't even know it. It, is, it isn't what you call a bad sin. You know, like lying or pornography or cheating. It's subtle, but it pulls you away from God. Second Timothy 2.4 No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. Entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. That's a tricky one to measure. Entangled in the affairs of everyday life. Number eight, worldliness is a very hard thing to do to not let happen because we're immersed in it. So let's suppose I decide I'm not going to eat any ice cream. I love ice cream. Boy, it's my favorite of all foods. I love it. But I walk into the prayer room and there's 80 people in there and every single one of them has a bowl with ice cream in it with chocolate sauce on it and whipped cream and a cherry on the top. Everyone. And they're all eating it. And they're all going, mm, oh, this tastes so good. Pastor, have a bowl of ice cream. No. Have, okay. Am I going to make it out of there without eating a bowl of ice cream? I doubt it. Now, if there was only one, I could do it. But everybody? And everybody's saying, come on, come on. We live in this world and everybody has stuff. And there's a whole bunch of people who have nicer stuff than we do. There's a whole bunch of people who have more stuff than we do. And it's every day, all day long. And it's a tough, tough sin because we live in it. All around it, constantly. That's our culture, is stuff. And uh, there's just something in us that wants more. Number nine, worldliness is Satan's major area of temptation in our lives. So his job and the demons that he has as they uh, tempt us, that's the number one thing they work on in our life. They don't work on us to get us to lie. They don't work on us to get us to cheat. They don't work on us to get us to commit adultery. Mostly they work on us to love the world because they know that if we love the world, we don't love God. And if we don't love God, we're going to dishonor him and that we're going to end up sinning and falling away from him. Matthew 4, 8. Again, the devil took him, Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Their glory. What's that? That's nice cars and nice houses. Their glory, the glory of the world. Showed him all the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. So why did Satan do that? Because he knew that was a Temptation, a major one. He did it with Adam, he did it with Jesus, and he does it with us constantly. Number 10, worldliness damages our soul. 
we're working over in the gymnasium, what used to be the racquetball court, and we're converting it into a chapel, children's little chapel, and it looks just like our first one. Trusses are the same, everything's the same, we're working in there. And the other day, somebody was drilling a screw in through a board, and it came through the other side and went into their finger. It damaged their finger. A number of years ago, I had a nail gun, and I was nailing with a nail gun, and I don't know, I just underestimated the length of the nail or overestimated the thickness of the board, and I'm holding it, and I shot the nail gun right into my finger. In fact, it went almost through my finger. I damaged my finger. Um, I fell off a ladder a couple of months ago, and I broke two ribs. I damaged my ribs. Orliness damages our soul. That's the inside person. First Peter 2.11, again, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Wage war against the soul. Number 11, the command is to abstain from worldliness as if we were an alien. So my citizenship is in heaven. I'm headed there. I'm here for a couple of days. And then I'm gone. Well, maybe it'll be four. I don't know how long it'll be, but it could be tonight. But I'm going there. I I, uh, have made 33 trips. 33? 23, excuse me. 23 trips to West Africa over the last, since 2002. And I'm usually there for 10 days to three weeks. When I, go, I don't go anymore. But when I did go, it was 10 days to three weeks, depending on what we were doing. And so, I didn't buy a house while I was there. I didn't buy a bicycle while I was there. I didn't buy a car while I was there. I didn't buy anything while I was there. But some food and not much of that. Why? Well, because I was only going to be there 10 days. Then I was going home. That's what you call an alien. So, live your life as an alien. Philippians 3.19, who's in this destruction, who's God, this is talking about people that aren't going to heaven, who's in this destruction, that means they're going to hell, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things who set their minds on earthly things, our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. That's the coolest verse in the Bible. He is going to change my body to be just like his. And that will take, in 1 Corinthians 15, the blink of an eye, and I get a new body. This thing I'm in now is creaky and achy and I'd sure like to have my 18-year-old body back, but I won't. But I get a better one. I get one just like Jesus, and it's going to probably happen tomorrow, maybe Sunday. Could be Monday, but it's soon. I've got my... Mindset on the things above, not on the things of this earth. Number 12, lusting takes place in our mind, in our thoughts. So we must take our thoughts captive by choosing what we think about. 
So when a little baby grows, they start out just a little baby. You got to do everything for them. They cry. Uh, they, they suck on a bottle. They poop. And you carry them around on a little thing. Then they get a little bit bigger. And then they stand up and they walk. And then they get to the point where they tie their own shoes. And they just get older and bigger. And they start doing more and more things for themselves. Same thing's true with us in our spiritual life. We grow and become mature. And did you know that one of the last things that any Christian grows into as a skill is taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's the last thing. And most never get that one down. As a discipline, as a skill where your brain just doesn't do what it wants. So the average individual, they look over there, they see that, they think about that. They look over, see that, they think about that. They look over and see that, they think about that. Their brain just does whatever it wants to do. Your thoughts control your behavior. Your thoughts control your life. As a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. So if you're going to change and grow, you have to learn to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Lust happens in your thoughts. You think and you go over it and over it and pretty soon then you do it. So if you're going to conquer the love of the world and the love of the world and the stuff in it, you have to learn to control your thoughts. There's only one way to do that. Only one way to do it. And that is you have to memorize verses in the Bible that are contrary to wrong, wrong thinking. You don't take thoughts captive by just choosing not to think about it. You won't be able to do it. What you do is you just change by choice what you think about. The Bible uses that phrase repeatedly. It's called set your mind on the things above or the things of God rather than the things of this earth. Second Corinthians 10.5, we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. When you get to that point where you can say you're doing that, then you are a champion for Jesus. You're growing like a weed and you're doing great things, accomplishing tremendous things with, for him with your life. 13, those who have learned to discipline their thoughts are champions for Jesus, overcomers. And it's a learned skill. You work at it. But the only way that you will be able to do it is to memorize Bible. You don't have to memorize a lot. But you have to memorize ones that will be the opposite of what's wrong in your head. Here's a good one. Colossians 3, 1 through 2. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, that means if you're a believer, you're headed for heaven. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on. That means choose what you think about. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Romans 8, 6. For the mindset, the mindset on the flesh, that's the stuff in the world, is death. The mindset on the spirit is life and peace because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not subject itself to the law of God. It is not even able to do so. So you can set your mind on the things of this world or you can set your mind on the things of heaven. 
14, the, the spiritual battle that we fight with the kingdom of darkness is for control of our mind. The devil is working to gain control of our mind. My dad was in the Battle of Midway in the Second World War on the Yorktown, an aircraft carrier. And the battle was for 640 acres called Midway. It was possession of that little piece of land. And the battle that's going on with you is for your mind. The devil talks to us. The demons talk to us so that we think about what they say. We hear them in our thoughts. And our responsibility is to conquer those thoughts. Don't let them control our life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11.3, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. He's working on capturing our mind, getting us to think about stuff and things, lusting, coveting, greed. 15, the person who memorizes scripture well and uses it like a sword against the attacks of the devil to control our mind will win. Will win. You guys got my little video up there? That's what's going on right now. The battle for the mind. And we defend ourselves with the word of God that we've memorized. Luke 4, 6. And the devil said to him, to Jesus, I will give you all this domain and its glory. It has been handed over to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written. And then he quotes a verse out of the book of Deuteronomy, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. First John 2, 14, I've written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I've written to you young men because you're strong. The word of God, the word of God abides in you. That means you've memorized it. And you have overcome the evil one. Ephesians six ten. finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Verse 16, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. That's those thoughts. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word of God. It's our offensive weapon against the devil. So... Philippians three nineteen through 21. This is a great verse to memorize, to set your mind on. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. He will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So, I'm going to be at the sportsman show and I'm going to see a fishing rod and a boat and a gun and I'm going to say, my citizenship is in heaven. I'm eagerly waiting for a savior who will transform 
this humble body, and it will be just like his. And it'll be skinny and have lots of hair and sing really good. That's my body. I don't know what yours is going to be like. And so then I walk one more lap around the sportsman show, and I think about another verse. The word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, able to keep the devil and his demons at bay, but you have to memorize them. You don't have to memorize the Bible. You know, a dozen verses, even the oldest and most feeble-minded of you in here could do that in a matter of weeks. And then you just think about it, meditate on it, and it sets you free. It sets you free. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that we will recognize that we live in a really dangerous place, this world. And it takes our affection and our love away from you. But we can resist that with your word. And I pray that you would just help us all to be determined to do just that. And that we would read your word, that we would memorize it, meditate on it. Set our mind on the things above rather than on things of this earth. Help us to do that. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ushers are passing out some cards. Really love it if you'd fill those out. And if you have a prayer request, you can put on there. And uh, if you don't have anything to write on there, you can just write on there. Pastor D, I really hope that you don't waste your money on another fishing rod or something of that nature. I'm just going to talk for a minute while they do the cards, sound people, so you don't have to put the music on there. Um, So I just want to remind you of how a warrior for Jesus lives. And he lives his life like a professional football player. That is, he practices so that he can live the Christian life with victory. And so a professional football player practices. They run, they throw, they catch, they do those basic things. So ours, you read the Bible every day. That's the basic discipline of the Christian life. You spend 15 minutes every day with God. That's the basic discipline of the Christian life. Um, You think about your life and you confess all known sin to God. Uh, That's a good discipline for every day. If you don't sin, you can skip it. Uh, one of my goals is to have a day which I don't sin. But uh, I'm thinking I'll make it before I get uh, too much older, but we'll see. But uh, you, just think, you just confess. God says, if you confess, I forgive. And it's important to do that. And you especially, especially think about anything in you that is a root of bitterness. There's any hint of irritation, unforgiveness toward anybody about anything. That is a super bad poison. And so you're always, every day, getting that out of yourself, thinking about it and just saying, Lord, I choose to forgive so-and-so because you've forgiven me. That's all you have to do, but you've got to get rid of it. And it's just a discipline because our flesh does everything opposite of what God wants us to do. Flesh hates to read the Bible. Flesh doesn't like to pray. The flesh likes to be bitter and angry and hold grudges. And so it's a discipline. We make ourselves do it every day, every day, every day. And then you work at never grumbling or fussing or complaining or whining about anything. But rejoice always. Again, that is so opposite of our world that we're going to be sucked into that, dis- that bad habit. But it's a, it's a bad, bad, bad habit. 
is to complain and grumble. And so you just make the choice, make the goal. Don't fuss, don't whine, don't complain. Rejoice, thank the Lord for everything. And you train your brain, yourself, your soul to do that. And so those basic disciplines, you just every day, every day, every day, take care of those, do those. They're not hard, but they do require some thought and some effort. And then you grow. And you grow. What you want is when Jesus comes, that he says to you, well done. Well done. Um, And he's not going to say that to everybody, even though you're going to be in heaven. So you want that. You really do. Let's stand together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to this planet and living the life that you lived and then dying on a cross. And while you hung there, our sins were put on you. You became our sin. You paid the price for our sin. You experienced the wrath of God the Father against yourself for our sins. Did that so we could live with you forever and ever. As we live this life, Lord, we're here for a reason. That is to grow, to become like you. I pray that each of us will set our mind in the things above and pursue righteousness, holiness, character to be like you. We look forward to the day that we hear you say, come up here, and we are changed, and we live with you forever. In the meantime, Lord, we've got your spirit living in us, so help us to pursue and to live the way you want us to. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.